The Hamlet Podcast, episode 78. Hello and welcome to this exploration of Shakespeare's Hamlet with me, your host, Connor Hanritty. As we left it last time, Hamlet has been quizzing Ophelia about her beauty and her honesty. Ophelia has been backed somewhat into a corner and attempts to keep things from getting too personal by discussing things in a more abstract manner. Rather than talking any further about these qualities in herself, she speaks about them as more general ideas. Could beauty have more commerce than with honesty? Of course, she's no match for Hamlet, whose response is sharp. I truly, for the power of beauty will sooner transform honesty from what it is to a bawd than the force of honesty can translate beauty into his likeness. This was sometime a paradox, but now the time gives it proof. This is a rather long sentence, and it's certainly clearer when you see a live actor performing it rather than trying to read it on the page. What Hamlet is saying is that there is a significant difference between beauty and honesty. Beauty can transform honesty into a prostitute a whole lot more easily than honesty can reclaim the good reputation of a beautiful whore. Hamlet says that it is a paradox because, of course, the standard feeling would be more along the lines of what Ophelia has said, that beauty and virtue, or honesty, are, of course, suitable companions. In Hamlet's mind, women are frail and fickle and faithless, as he's mentioned earlier, and anything but honest. And so, paradoxically, he believes that beauty added to honesty adds up to more lies. And the time gives it proof. Look around, he's saying. Our own time and current circumstances make this very clear. A lot of Hamlet's anger in this scene is still directed at his mother, but in his mind he's already expanded it against all women. Ophelia among them. Hamlet is trying to unravel the paradox between beauty and truth because he fears that beauty, real or assumed, makes men liars. And he even suggests that he himself has fallen victim to it as he finishes his line. I did love you once. Ophelia's response is telling. Indeed, my lord, you made me believe so. With all of Hamlet's strange behaviour, it sounds like she's starting to doubt him too. That everything was either play-acting or madness. That perhaps Hamlet isn't honest either, and all of this sophistry about beauty and things is some kind of game he's playing on her. Hamlet's explanation continues. You should not have believed me, for virtue cannot so inoculate our old stock, but we shall relish of it. I loved you not. It's almost an echo of Polonius's instructions back in Act One when Hamlet tells Ophelia she should not have believed him. He then uses a metaphor from plants and their care. Virtue cannot so inoculate our old stock, but we shall relish of them. Hamlet is saying that no amount of virtue from Ophelia is enough to inoculate against the badness in himself, that people are always rotten and that they relish in it. Our old stock is our humanity. It can't be avoided. He's been tricked by her beauty, so whatever love he professed wasn't love. Ophelia replies, I was the more deceived. It's interesting that Ophelia's responses are crystal clear replies to Hamlet's rather complicated ideas. She does understand him, it seems. She has acknowledged that perhaps Hamlet was only trying to make her believe he loved her, and now she seems to acknowledge that the deception could have been two-way. Hamlet now launches into one of the most famous speeches in the play. Get thee to a nunnery. 
Why wouldst thou be a breeder of sinners? I am myself indifferent, honest, but yet I could accuse me of such things that it were better my mother had not borne me. I am very proud, revengeful, ambitious, with more offences at my beck than I have thoughts to put them in. Imagination to give them shape, or, or time to act them in. What should such fellows as I do crawling between earth and heaven? We are arrant knaves, all. Believe none of us. Go thy ways to a nunnery. Where's your father? As with so much of what Hamlet says, there are multiple meanings in play. A nunnery is a convent, a place of religious seclusion for women, where nuns had very little contact with men or the outside world. So, at the first level, Hamlet is suggesting that Ophelia would be better off going into religious life and avoiding contact with men altogether. As such, there would be no fear of her becoming a breeder of sinners, since part of becoming a nun would be a vow of chastity. Since Ophelia is beautiful, her beauty will lead men to lie, since beauty conquers honesty, as he outlined moments earlier, and therefore the fair Ophelia would also be better off in religious seclusion, where her beauty could not breed sinners, simply by leading men to lie and flatter her. There's also a persistent reading of the word nunnery that explains that in Elizabethan slang it was a word for a brothel. If this is the case, Hamlet is telling Ophelia she's no better than a prostitute and that she'd be better off in a whorehouse. It's a powerful idea, but with so much discussion of breeding and honesty and the dangers of men, for me it doesn't quite yield as satisfactory a reading in and of itself. If the inference is there, or the echo of this contemporary slang, then it's certainly very powerful. Hamlet's distaste for women and any vows they make seems all the more absolute if nuns are no more trustworthy than prostitutes anyway. Hamlet's not just going after women in this speech, as he saves plenty of comment for himself. He insists that Ophelia would be better in a nunnery not just because of this thorny contest between her beauty and all truth, but also because he himself is an awful rake. I am myself indifferent honest, but yet I could accuse me of such things that it were better my mother had not borne me. I am very proud, revengeful, ambitious, with more offences at my beck than I have thoughts to put them in, imagination to give them shape, or time to act them in. What should such fellows as I do, crawling between heaven and earth? We are arrant knaves, all believe none of us. He says he is only moderately honest, or virtuous, or even truthful. But he could accuse himself of some things so terrible that it would have been better that he had never been born. He explains that he is very proud, revengeful, ambitious, all fairly clear, with more offences familiar to him, or at his beck, than he has brain space to think about them, imagination to plan them, or time to commit them. For the moment, we assume, these things are still in his head, but he is technically planning to kill the king, his uncle. He wonders what business someone like him has even being alive at all. What should such fellows as I do crawling between earth and heaven? Having already summed up his feelings on women, he hasn't much better to say about men. We are arrant knaves all, believe none of us. A knave, by definition, is a dishonest man. So, after all this conversation about beauty and truth, Hamlet says that men are fundamentally untruthful. So Ophelia would absolutely be better off in a convent, and he tells her to go thy ways to a nunnery. 
The last line is as crucial as it is vexing. Hamlet asks, where's your father? The big, big question is whether he's aware or not of being overheard. If he knows that Polonius and Claudius are listening, how does this change what he's saying? Could a particular staging of the scene make it possible for Hamlet to communicate one way to Ophelia while presenting a completely different message to the men behind the arras who can't see him? Does Hamlet realise that Polonius is nearby only when he asks this question, or does he know any earlier? Hamlet told us earlier that he'll be putting an antic disposition on, but Ophelia certainly doesn't know about this. His behaviour towards her in this scene will lead her eventually to the conclusion that he is going mad, but to us, who are aware of the different levels of reality that are being presented, it can appear as what Isaac Asimov called a crescendo of cruel sarcasm. Hamlet's fixation on the divide between beauty and honesty is certainly inspired by Ophelia's own beauty and the dangers he foresees for such a pure girl in such a rotten world. But is it also motivated by his realisation that she herself, despite her beauty, is part of this trap? Is she even a willing participant? Hamlet's anger only continues to escalate as he wonders just where Polonius might be. And we will see where this terrific scene leads in the next episode. For now, thank you very much for listening, as always. And do be sure to sign up for the mailing list, which will be going out at the start of next month. You can do so on the main page of the website, thehamletpodcast.com, where you'll also find links to all of our previous episodes, show notes, and the full texts of all the scenes we've already discussed. I hope you'll join me next time.